Welcome to Cryptobiography. I'm your host, Brandon Starr. This is episode 333 of Cryptobiography, and it is a compilation of the first half of The Island. And here we go. Done loading? Let's make for the mainland. Carden Ovesprin, tall and lean, climbed into the boat and helped his three children in. He was glad that they were old enough now to help. His oldest, Tristan Gwensprun, was twelve, his middle child, Morgan Gwensprun, was tw- ten, and his youngest, Kier Gwensprun, was six. All had been accepted as his child by their mother. Kier, of course, was really of little help, but Carden would hardly bring his attention to this. Not only was he too young, Kier had been born with one lame leg and was constantly trying to keep up with his two older siblings. Carden looked on Kier with a sort of pride he knew he felt about his other children, but seemed much fiercer when looking at his determined youngest child. Once they were all settled, Tristan Tristan cast off and took a paddle at the front, while Carden took the oars. It would not be a long row, no more than an hour, as the mainland was already visible ahead of the little craft. The fish had been covered with cleaned linens, but the smell of the fish, some fresh, some salted, and some salted and dried, filled the boat, even with the breeze. Though the fish they caught were a staple, and indeed they had some every day, he still enjoyed the smell, especially on market day. It smelled of opportunities. Their island was, after all, only perhaps a thousand meters long and a quarter of that wide. There were, on the whole, of the island less people than the village's family were rowing towards, 156 at the annual winter solstice counting. They did not know how many were in the village of Dunhaven, as the village did not keep count in the way they did, but it was certainly far more. Carden wondered if he, if it would be called a town soon instead of a village. Its relative isolation from other towns and villages meant that it had the amenities normally found only in larger communities, and that in turn attracted more people. He suspected there were half again as many people in Dunhaven as there were when he was a youth, yet it still got little attention from the wider world. He pulled at the oars and saw Morgan's line stretch out behind the boat. She let it drift close to the side so the oars would not tangle it. Soon after, he saw Keir's line go out behind the boat, but on the other side. He was imitating his sister. He also heard Tristan, ever the responsible eldest child, paddling away and doing much of the steering. Carden allowed him that feeling of control though he allowed one corner of his mind to check that they were heading towards the safest part of the shore. He let his mind drift, and as as it often did, it went to Gwen. They had started off as most of the islanders had by playing around with other partners, but they'd found gradually, but inexorably, that they were most happy with each other. So it had now been since before Tristan's birth. Some found multiple partners and were happy in little knots. Others moved from one or more partners to others. But he and Gwen, as perhaps the majority did, found their contentment just with one partner. With thoughts of his youth and the love that had grown between him and Gwen, the mainland approached. Tristan had guided them them well, and Carden slowed the pulling at the oars. 
He saw Morgan's and then Keir's lines get pulled back into the boat. Neither had caught anything, but that hardly mattered. They'd set out early, but not so early that their morning feeding time hadn't been mostly passed. They pulled up and tied onto their usual pier. Carden climbed out of the boat and went to get one of the wagons. He was back in a few minutes, and they loaded the wagon up. It was low and flat and easy to pull without any animal. Soon they had set up their little market table, mere yards from the end of the pier. Tristan was by Carden's side, and Morgan was, as she preferred, wandering about the other stalls, especially those with clever or beautiful handmade goods. Kier pointed at the nearby beach from the end of the dock, and Carden nodded at him. Kier hobbled towards it. Carden knew what Kier wanted. He wanted to be in the water. The deformity that kept Kier from walking well did not hamper him in the water at all. He had naturally fallen in love with swimming and did it as much as he could. Six or not, Carden completely trusted his youngest in the water. The boy swam like a dolphin. It didn't matter that the beach, unlike the pier, was not protected from the waves. He would dive through them like a breeze through an open doorway. The sails of their fish went well, and soon they had little left but a bit of the salted bass, which would keep anyway. Carden asked Tristan to watch the stall, and he took the money to do a bit of shopping himself. Morgan appeared as if from nowhere, as he suspected she would. Padre, they're the cutest little animals in dresses over here. Molly makes them. Molly, Carden knew, was a clever knitter and artist who made many things the young girls all went wild for. But he didn't want to disappoint her. How much? he asked. Eight coppers for a little one, she replied nervously. The market was the one time of the week they usually had actual money. They bartered on the island the other days, mostly. Carden thought about it. Okay, he said. He pulled out eight coppers and gave it to her. Morgan disappeared. This also meant he should get some small thing for the boys, even if it was less than eight coppers. He decided on some jerk beef. There were no cows on the island, and fish was their staple meat, so the beef was quite a delicacy. Carden had a soft spot for it himself. He went to the jerky stand and bought a good-sized bag, which would give him and the boys a couple of pieces each, perhaps one for Morgan as well, and some for Gwen, though she wasn't particular for it. She likely would give it or trade it to her friends. Finally, a trip to the Arbery stand. The Arbery's kept bees, something that didn't happen on the island at all, and was rare for miles around here on the mainland. Everything they sold was wildly expensive. The honey was three silvers for a small jar. They even had candles, six silvers each. It was half of what they'd made for all of their fish. But Carden plunked down six silvers for a lovely fat beeswax candle, which he would sure would keep them in evening light for a month, since it was as wide as three of his fingers. With care. He knew how long it took Gwen to make rushlights and how she disliked doing it. The fish oil they had to use wasn't ideal for the purpose. It took a lot of time to get the oil and gave poor light. This was, as much as anything, a gift of her own time back to do as she liked. He knew she would love it. He went back to the stall. Tristan was tidying up. He had sold the last of their fish. Carden thanked him for his effort and gave him a piece of the beef jerky, which his son chewed on happily. Carden took the rest of the money and put it in his pouch, then pulled out four copper pennies and gave it to Tristan. Save or use, it's for you to decide, he said. Thanks, father, Tristan said. 
He put in his own little pouch at his waist. Tristan was a saver. Cardin had no idea how many pennies he had saved over the past few years, but suspected it added up to a good amount. He hoped his eldest son wouldn't grow up to be a miser. Morgan sidled up to the stall, new doll in hand. Cardin held out his hand, and Morgan placed the new doll into it. It was a little mouse, but upright like a person, and dressed in a little yellow knit dress. He handed it back to Morgan, who did not put it in her, per in her pouch, but rather held on to it as though it were a small child. Tristan knew what to do. He went to the beach, looking in the water for signs of his brother, who would surely still be swimming. Cardin picked up the claws and the few other oddments they needed to take back with them, and put them over his shoulder. No cart needed. Today Kier was easily found, and he was following Tristan back towards the pier. Morgan was at his heels. Tristan offered to help Cardin with his load, but Cardin smiled and declined. He went ahead with Kier following as best he could. Some local boys were horsing around. Cardin smiled, mostly at memories he had of doing similar things when he was young. One boy pushed another, and that one, skinny arms flailing, red hair flaming in the afternoon sun, tripped at the side of the pier near their boat. He pinwheeled his arms wildly, making his friends laugh, then went over the side. But he did not go in cleanly. His head clipped the front of Cardin's boat, making a snapping sound and leaving a red smear behind. His friends stopped laughing, shocked. Tristan, too, who was close to the boys and had seemed to want to join them on their horseplay before the accident, was looking down in the water, but not acting. But behind him, Kier was already hobbling past Tristan. He seemed to Cardin to have a grim, grim determination. He looked down at the water, picking his target, then dived in. The little boy came up with the unconscious teenager in his arms. He kicked and kicked, keeping his face and the boys out of the water, and he made good progress. Cardin dropped his burden on the pier and ran back towards the shore. Kier made good progress, and Cardin tossed off his belt with its pack near the edge of the water and waded hard towards his son and the hurt youth. Well done, Kier, he said when he got to him. He was in water up to his armpits and grabbed the boy from Kier and pulled him toward the land. Soon he had the boy laid out on the shore. He pushed his stomach and water gushed from his mouth. He flipped the boy over and pushed on his abdomen from the back. More water came out, then a gasp as the boy breathed. Karn realized he had been holding his breath, too, as he breathed deeply and with relief. He gave another smile to Kier. You got him in time, son. The head wound was a nasty gash on the side of his head, but didn't look to be too serious. The boy's friends brought his father, and the man thanked Cardin, who accepted it with all humility. It was Kier who got to him fast, he said. The man thanked Kier, too, though he looked surprised at the boy's age. Soon the boy's cut had mostly stopped bleeding, and his father took him towards home. Cardin put his belt back on, and they put the cloth back in the boat and headed home. As they paddled and rowed back, Cardin heard Morgan playing with her new mouse doll. She was teaching her to fish. He saw her pull her line pull a bit as she said, Sometimes it helps, Miss Whiskers, to wiggle the line and make it look like the bait is extra tasty. He saw Kier's line wiggle just afterward. He was following Morgan's lead. Tristan, who had said nothing as they loaded the boat, nor anything else yet, Cardin wondered about that. He wondered if he had felt ashamed because he had frozen when his much younger brother had dived in and helped that boy. He decided he would talk to him later when it was private. Perhaps he should discuss thing, the matter with Gwen first. Yes, that would be best. 
When they pulled into the cove and up to their own small pier, reasonably protected from the waves, Cardin climbed out. The kids knew what their duties were. Tristan would see to the boat, and Morgan and Kier would take care of the linens. Cardin walked back to the house. He needed to go get washed, but wanted to give the leftover money and the beef jerky to Gwen. As he walked up to the house, he saw Duncan, their neighbor, leaving by the back door, which is the side closest to the house where Duncan and his two wives lived. Cardin walked in and saw that Gwen was naked in their room. He stopped. Duncan? he asked. Yes, she replied. Since when? Less than a month. Why not bring it up with me first? I... she said and just stopped. I have no hold on you, he said. I didn't know you needed someone else in your bed. I guess I'm confused. I am too, she said. Her head drooped, and Cardin could only see her waves of curly, light brown hair covering her face. I have questions, but I think we should talk later, Cardin said. Care saved a boy's life today in town. Tristan, you mean? she asked. No, Cardin replied. The boy was drowning. Care drove in, drove in and got him, dragged him close enough to shore for me to pull him out and get the water out of him. Remarkable, Gwen said. She was looking at him again. Cardin nodded. I have a few things to say about that, too, later on, he said, thinking of Tristan. When we can be private. Okay, she said, clearly wondering what that would be. The money, Cardin said. He walked over to her and put it in her hand. For some reason, he sounded stiff saying it. It's never been like that with Gwen, he thought to himself. This Duncan thing was affecting him more than it ought. But then it was news to him. Curtin went outside and saw that Morgan and Kier had brought the linens in from the fish sale to the washing room. Thalen had several natural streams, and they had built their home by one for the many uses it could be put to. The washroom was a one-room shack very near the stream, and they had diverted some of the water through the room, though it could also be shut off with a board. The water would then back up and return to the stream. Morgan had put Miss Whiskers on the little shelf near the door and was instructing her on the proper way to wash the linens. Care watched her. Morgan looked up at Cardin, and he nodded and smiled at her. Tristan hadn't come up to the house, and Cardin decided to go looking for him. It didn't take long. He was on the pier. He wasn't fishing, or indeed doing much of anything. The boat had been properly secured, but after that he must have simply gone to the edge of the pier and sat down cross-legged. Cardin sat down next to him. He suspected he knew what Tristan was thinking about, but didn't want to be the one to bring it up, partly in case it actually wasn't true, but also so he didn't accidentally shame his son. But that left him not knowing what to say. Tristan looked at the water below. A few fish were visible, slowly swimming into the shadow of the pier. Strange market day, Cardin remarked. He didn't say, he didn't dare say anything more specific. Yeah, Tristan agreed. You were a big help today, getting there, at the stall, getting home. Thanks. Father? Yes? It should have been me. What makes you say that? Kara's six. I know he swims well and all, 
But I should have done it. Should have jumped in. But I saw the blood on the boat, and I just froze. I didn't jump in either, not before Kier. You were a little behind us, and you had the cloths and all. This is bothering you, isn't it? Tristan didn't say anything. He put his head down almost flat on the pier. You know, you had an uncle, Tristan. My brother? Yeah, he died when he was young. Yes, but I won't talk about how. Tristan looked up. No, you don't. Carden took a while. He hadn't thought about it in a long time. He put those feelings away. They'd done no one any good. He was my younger brother. My only full sibling. Tristan. Gwen was kind enough to name you after him. He was your age. I was one counting older. We were out on the boat in the evening. We'd done our work for the day, and we're just out to mostly float around, maybe put a line in here and there. To this day, I'm not sure how it happened. Tristan put the anchor over, and he went with it. Somehow he got caught in the line. I scrambled to that side of the boat and looked down. He was already almost out of sight. I dove in. He could see Tristan looking at him. He could see the unasked question in his eyes. Why was he telling him this story if he didn't freeze as he had? I tried to catch up with him, but weighed down by the stone anchor he was going too fast. That was when I felt the line moving past my shoulder. I then realized that I could have stayed up on the boat, tied the line firm, and then pulled him back in. I also realized that he wouldn't be dragged down so quickly if he'd been awake and alert. He was a good swimmer. Even with the anchor, if he were fighting, he'd be going down slowly, unevenly. Instead, he was going to the depths fast and at one rate. Far underwater, ears screaming from the pressure. I was too deep down to go back up, get into the boat, and then hope to pull him in. Instead, I did what I could. I grabbed the rope and started swimming upward as hard as I could. It was useless. I was barely going upward at all against the weight of the stone, and I was running out of breath. I let go of the rope and swam up back towards the boat. I climbed in as fast as I could, then started hauling on the rope. It had gone slack by the time I got in. The anchor was at the bottom, but the rope was nearly at its full length. The rope coiled in the bottom of the boat as I pulled. All the while, I looked at the blood on the side of the boat, where he'd hit his head, much like the red-headed boy today. He finally came up. I pulled him in. I tried to get him to breathe again, but I could not. He was gone. Look, you froze. I made a terrible decision that left me unable to help. Neither is great. And maybe you feel as badly as you do today as I did, but horrible situations don't have perfect answers. Or even if they do, you may not choose the right one at the time. I didn't. Cardin fell silent. He could feel Tristan beside him. Eventually, Tristan stood up, put his hand on Cardin's shoulder. Then the boy turned and went back home. Cardin watched the sun slowly move towards the sea for a while, then joined him. That night, Cardin told Gwen all about Care saving the boy and Tristan's talk with him. 
Gwen was the only other person who really knew the details of what happened with his brother, Tristan, so she understood. They didn't talk anymore about Duncan. Cardin didn't know what his feelings were on the subject. The next day, Cardin went out early to fish. He declined Tristan's request for assistance. The weather was extremely mild, and he asked the boy to help repair the seine net. They normally could fish in the stream with the seine net, but it had been damaged, so they only had the saltwater fish to catch for the time being. The island wasn't terribly large, but when Cardin was a youth, his mother Ova had the idea to seed fish from the mainland rivers. They now had trout to eat year-round. Cardin went out to sea, pulling the sea net behind him. He could see the length of the island, and behind it the mainland, including the small town where Care had his brush with fate. He wondered if Care would get a big head about it. He hoped not, but he was so young. This would likely be one of his earliest memories when he was older. How would he be different, Cardin wondered, if his first memory was of saving another's life? He put the drop net in and waited. He would pull it back in soon. He saw a boat slowly make the turn on the far side of the island, then make its way down. He didn't recognize the boat, but it must have been from the town. He would have recognized any of the boats from the island. They were paddling, he saw, quite close to shore. Then he saw them wave toward shore, though he couldn't see if anyone was waving back. He pulled in the net and took out the captured fish. This was too far from the next market day. These fish would all be dried to keep except for a particularly fine tuna, which he decided would make dinner. The unknown boat kept coming closer. Cardin was in the middle of a second netting when the boat paused in front of their pier, then stopped and pulled in. Cardin immediately pulled in the net. It was too early, and there were no fish in it, but he was too distracted by what was happening at his home. As soon as the net was in the boat and secured, he took out the oars and pulled for home. Ahoy! someone yelled as he approached his pier. Cardin glanced beside him and saw the strangers from the boat standing on his pier waving. Two of them, an adult and a near-adult boy by the looks of it. He gave a big backward nod to let them know he heard them without releasing his oars. As he pulled in, he tossed up the rope. One of them caught it, but didn't seem to know what to do. Townies, Cardin thought. Explains why they had to go all over the island to find my pier. Tristan stepped forward, took the rope from the man who had caught it with a thanks and tied it down himself. Cardin climbed onto the pier and held out a hand to the stranger. Cardin Overspren, he said. Greetings. Hello, Cardin Overspren, the man said. John Johnson, and my son, John Johnson Jr. Call him Jack. John, Jack, nice to meet you both, Cardin replied. Has Tristan been able to introduce himself? He looked around. The other kids and Gwen were not in evidence. Tristan Gwensprun, Tristan offered. He shook Jack's hand. Jack had bright red hair. Cardin realized it was the boy from yesterday. Care helped you uh, yesterday, correct? Yes, my son nearly drowned, the man said. He had fair hair, but not red like his son's. He was tall and thin with a somewhat tight expression. They both wore hats, which is why Cardin hadn't seen the boy's bright red hair from his glance on his boat. The boy wore his hat crooked, probably to keep the hat from touching the part of his head that was injured. We want to, wanted to thank your son properly. May we see him? Of course. Tristan, could you go get care? Tristan nodded and ran for the house. John watched Tristan go for a moment, then turned to Cardin. So, you're a fisherman? Yes. You? Farmer. We're at the market to sell and buy. Didn't expect my son to get in such trouble so quickly. Happens sometimes. 
Did you say your name is Overspren? Yes. Tristan's your boy? He is, yes. But he's a Gwensprun. Yes, that's how we do things on the island. Cardin didn't say more. He knew that most of the people on the mainland took the father's name and thought it strange that they used the mother's and changed it from generation to generation. Meanwhile, some of the mainlanders had the same surname for centuries. Some of the mainlanders didn't know or maybe had heard it but hadn't believed in their ways. It was impossible for Cardin to tell if John Johnson disapproved or was merely curious. Here he comes, he said, and nodded in Care's direction. He was running, as young kids usually do, to find out why he was being asked for, but with his game leg he was running awkwardly. Still, he had enthusiasm, Cardin thought with pride. Care stopped and looked at Cardin, Cardin said. Allow me to introduce my son, Care Gwensprun. John Johnson stepped forward and put his hand out to shake. John Johnson, Keir, and my son Jack, whom you saved yesterday. Hi, Keir said, shaking the man's hand with a wide smile. He didn't get treated like an adult yet and seemed to be enjoying it. John Johnson looked at Jack, who no noticed and said, uh, Yes, thank you, Keir. I appreciate you saving me. How is your head? Keir asked. Healing, Jack replied. I have a pretty good-sized bump, though it can't really be seen, just felt. And there's a scab under my hair, too. But it'll all be good soon. Good to hear, Care said. We have something for you, John said. He motioned to Jack, who opened a pack he had slung on his back. He took out three glass jars. Inside were preserved plums. Oh, this is too much, Cardin said. Jars were expensive, and he didn't know how he would get them back to the Johnson family. Nonsense. It's a gift from my family to yours. The last of last year's crop, and a good one it was. Put them in a cool, dark place, and they'll stay good another year yet. But do eat them within a week after opening. Thank you, said Garden, and Tristan and Kier mimicked him. They each took a jar. Stay for dinner? I have a fine tuna, just caught, Garden said. John looked uneasy. Thank you, sir, but we must be getting back. We have a church function, then home, he said. Church function? Garden inquired. Yes, there's a new sect, the Potentians, and we just joined up. They're actually building the church now. Just started. It'll be right at the top of the hill in town. Cardin started. The hill been sacred ground for all the religions. Why was one allowed to build a temple there for itself alone? But he said nothing. Well then, safe travels home, and thank you for the generous gift, Cardin said. If you ever need something, I feel like our families are now tied by the bonds of friendship. As do I, John Johnson said, though he seemed a little startled by Cardin's words. I cannot express enough my thanks for saving my son. Cardin gave the jar of plums to Tristan, and the two boys took the jars to the house. Gwen hadn't even had time to come out and meet the Johnsons. She stepped out of the house as they were pulling away. The plums, some of which they had with their evening meal that night, were delicious. Three days later, the family went to the monthly meeting at the full moon. It was just before the market day, so the feast was a tad on the dull side. Lots of fish, as so many fished on the island for their living. Still, there were a number of farmers who brought breads, puddings, and meats of various kinds. Gwen, having gotten permission from Keir, brought a jar of the plums. They had finished one already, so after this, there would be just one left. But Keir was happy to have people share the bounty. Cardin wondered if Keir was also happy that people were sharing around the story of his saving Jack Johnson. But... Perhaps that wouldn't matter. After all, 
the moon meeting was a time for sharing of news and stories, and so Care's adventure would be on many people's lips. And so it proved. Care's story was told around. Cardin himself answered questions about it many times. When the feast was over, the time came for the families to discuss news. This was where Cardin was surprised, for Care's story suddenly was put aside. The Potentians are building their church on top of the main hill in town, Apha said. She was the head of a good-sized family, and the Aphisprins composed some quarter of the population. She was known for being level-headed, and many people went to her for advice, even outside her family. It's distasteful, agreed Kara, head of her own family, though smaller. Kara was also younger, only having become a grandmother a few years ago. Our harvest Thanksgivings have happened there for so long. What do we, what do we know about them? There was a murmuring. Finally, Cardin spoke up. I don't know too much about them, he volunteered, but John Johnson, father of Jack Johnson, the boy Care saved from drowning, came over the day after that event. He gave presents, and we spoke a little. His family has joined the Potentians. He mentioned they were new to the area. I'm afraid I know no more, though John Johnson struck me as a very kind and thoughtful neighbor. Neighbor was a word used not just for someone who lived nearby, but who was, wasn't close enough to be called friend, but it made him or herself known to be a decent and kind person. Cardinus had chosen the word carefully because he knew it would have weight. It is good to hear they have good people among their number, agreed Kara. But why have they made this decision about their church on their own? It speaks poorly of the rest of them, or at least of their leaders. There's general agreement to this. Gwen asked for attention. Will we do anything about this, or let it go? This caused a lot of murmuring among the group. Cardin could tell Gwen was trying to push the issue one way or the other, but wasn't sure why. Because of this, he decided not to say anything for or against action, lest he go against Gwen's wishes. As the talk wound down and the Gwen then headed home, Cardin found himself pleased. Karen had gotten his moment in the sun, and people would remember, but it didn't seem to be the sort of story that blew up and was retold. It would fade, and hopefully his son wouldn't get too big ahead about it. In their bed that night, Cardin asked Gwen about her suggestion. I couldn't tell if you were for action against the Potentians or not, he said. Neither, Gwen said. Neither? Cardin said. I was trying not to go against your wishes, but why bring up the action idea of action at all then? I didn't want it to fester. I think the people, if on the fence for a long time, will eventually cause problems. If we get the idea of action up early, then we can make sure it's a civilized one. And if not, people will let the idea go. But if people stay angry a long time without action, without acting, the action they settle on may be violent, extreme. That's why I wanted to push the issue. That seems wise. Gwen smiled. Cardin could see it in the ray of moonlight coming in through the one small window in their bedroom. Why Duncan? You want to talk about that now? Yes, I don't think I understand why. He has two wives. If you took him on, he wouldn't have much time for you. True, but I don't plan on taking him on. 
then why? We've been one and one for a long time. I don't like to think I was taking that for granted exactly, but given how long, I just thought there wasn't any change coming. Are you jealous? Of your time, not your bed. But you were out at sea, fishing for much of the day. I guess I don't know what you need from him. That I don't get from you? Yes. Gwen took a deep breath, put her hand on Cardin's waist. I enjoy our time together, Cardin, and I don't think I'm missing anything with you. My heart simply wants to explore. Duncan is an interesting lover. I now know why he's able to keep two wives happy. But he has a lot of flaws. Unlike you, he is already showing signs of jealousy. I'm no longer going to take him to my bed. Not because of your jealousy, whether of time or of bed, but because he's not as good a person as you. You've put my standards too high on that score to settle for someone else. Cardin thought about this. You have a kind way of letting me know I need to get better in bed. Gwen laughed. I don't think it's about better. It's more about wanting to be better. You think I don't want to be better? I think you fell into a rut and decided the rut was your life, and you needn't get out of the rut to be happy. But you were unhappy. I wasn't fully happy. I will get better. She kissed him. I know. And they made love, with him asking questions all the way through. And he found he enjoyed it more than any time with Gwen for a long time. Afterward, he held her in his arms. If you become pregnant, it may not be possible to tell if Duncan or I am the father. The baby will simply be a Gwen sprung, then. You're a decent man. I don't think Duncan will be able to take on another child. I do think that you, whether you knew it to be yours or not, would care for a child of mine with all love and care. You're right, I would. Then it will hardly matter if the baby is formally accepted as yours. I suppose not. Good night, my love. Good night. The next few weeks were quiet, with Cardin focusing on his fishing, the children helping him, and particularly Gwen, with Gwen working on building another room on the house. The three children all had one room, and they were all getting big. There was some forest land on the island, but it was not particularly close to their house. While some timber had been used, particularly for the roof, the walls were all of the rock that was much more easily gotten. There was a beach nearby with a cliff, and the rocks of the cliff were fine for wall-making, tending to be flat and not too large. The neighborhood shared a wagon for these sorts of things, and the Gwensprung family used it for weeks on end, with all of them at different times going to fetch wagon loads of stones. Cardin knew that the walls were fast being completed, and several timbers would be needed for the roof choice. With that in mind, he took Tristan in the boat, and they went down the coast a couple of miles. They brought the one axe they owned, tied down tightly, just in case of rough seas, and made for a forest that went practically down to the beach. There was a partly protected angle they could make for, and they pulled the boat well up on the beach. The tide was nearly high, as they had planned. Still, Tristan took out the anchor and dropped it next to the boat. If something unusual happened, the boat would not be able to go too far. They spent a few hours chopping down a large oak and removing the branches. It was a fairly young oak and was still mostly straight, but the trunk was thick enough to make several beams. By the time they were finished, the sun was nearly down, their water skins were empty, and the small amounts of dried food they had brought were eaten. 
The work was hard, and when one took a break, the other picked up the axe. But now they were done. Dragging the oak to the water was also hard work, but they used the branches as skids and rolled the tree down to the water near the boat. When the trunk was just about floating, Tristan went and pulled the boat into the water. The anchor stayed for the time being so that he could jump out of the boat to help Cardin. Cardin tied the tree to the boat. His knowledge of knots was great, and though he would have trusted Tristan to do it, he felt it would be better if he did this work himself. The great tree was starting to rock a bit in the water, still not quite enough to float in. Tristan helped instead by handing him lengths of rope as he passed them around the trunk. Cardin had to go down in the water one last time to pass the rope around the trunk when a wave rolled the trunk partway over. His hand was caught, and his face was underwater. He pushed, but he had no leverage to move the trunk from his position. He took his free hand, which was still well above the waterline, and slapped the trunk. Tristan was with him in a flash. He could tell his son was first trying to push the trunk away, but apparently he couldn't quite do it. Then he stepped away, and being unable to see, Cardin instead focused on holding his breath and working his hand out from under the trunk. It was held fast, and he could barely move his hand. He started digging under his arm with his free hand, but it was slow going. He hoped the water would recede enough for him to catch a breath soon. His lungs were burning. Suddenly the trunk rolled away from him, and he brought his head up out of the water, taking a huge gulp of air. Tristan had found the longest remaining branch and pulled up on it with all his strength. The leverage was just enough for him to move the great log. Cardin looked at his hand. It wasn't bad, considering. He'd done more damage to the skin trying to pull it free than any other damage. The wet sand had been just soft enough to keep his bones from being crushed, even if it hadn't allowed him to free himself. Cardin started laughing, looking at his hand, shaking his head. Tristan looked a little confused, then started laughing, too. How foolish would it have been to, to die under a tree I just cut, Cardin asked, and rested a bit on the log. Thank you, son. Well done. Tristan went around the other side of the log and pulled the rope over. Cardin finished the tying of the knots, though his hands were shaking from the experience. Then they got in, Tristan first, taking the oars and starting to pull away from shore. The log followed easily, and Cardin checked to make sure the knots were good. Then he waited, then swam after the boat, pulled himself in, noting that in his exhaustion it was far harder than it should have been, and flopped onto the bench seat. Tristan kept pulling and they made their way back home. Cardin found himself growing worried. Not much time had passed between Kira's saving of the boy from drowning and their adventure today. Would Tristan think that Cardin had set it up, pretended to be caught, so he could play the hero? Hopefully the cuts and scrapes on his hand and arm would be enough to keep that from happening. They pulled the log home and got it well up on the beach. The next day, Cardin started splitting it. It was going to take a good amount of time, and but he knew if he just kept working on it, it would be done. That day, however, his work was cut short by a severe storm. The whole family brought the boat well up on shore and tied it to some trees. The log, not easily moved, was tied with long ropes to a large rock. The rain was hard indeed, with lightning and rough seas. The family went inside, and because it was too loud for conversation, they sang songs and played games. Like so many hard rains, it was soon over, and Cardin went back to work on the log. The time of day and the stir still stirred up waves would mean no fishing for the rest of the day. He went back to splitting the log. The first split was nearly done, and each swing was causing the crack to lengthen. 
The progress made him grin. But he stopped grinning after he looked out to sea. The waves were showing, from time to time, boat. Cardin found himself watching. No one on the island would have gone out in this weather, and the storm would have been seen for too long for anyone to still be out there when it came. How was anyone caught in this? Or was the boat empty? Had it escaped its mooring? Cardin looked harder. The boat clearly didn't have anyone at the oars or paddles, but it didn't look empty either. It seemed to him that someone, unconscious or dead, was lying in the boat. It's a season for saving others, Cardin thought. He wouldn't risk his children or Gwen in this weather. No, he must do this one alone. He went for the board. Sometimes, mostly for fun, he or the kids would take a long board out on the water and paddle around. The boat would take too long to get there, and high seas were terrible for rowing in a boat anyway. He knew from experience that the board would cut through the waves much better and get him there. Along with the board, he snagged a hook on a rope, thinking he may have need of it. Then he ran for the water, board over his head. He called to the house, just so that they would know what he was up to. He couldn't be sure they heard him over the waves, but he was running out of time. The boat was being swept past him, and the longer he took to get to the water, the harder it would be to catch up. He would need his strength to get into the boat and help the person. The water was cold, but he was used to it, and he made steady progress towards the boat, which he could see whenever it was near the top of a wave. He knew it mu he must be careful. If the boat struck him, he could drown. Each time he hit a wave, the board cut through the very top of it, but he got high up enough to keep his bearings. As he got closer, he could see the person in the boat was flopping around loosely. He may be dead, thought Cardin, and it did seem to be a man, though he had gotten, hadn't gotten too good a look yet. He was coming up from behind the boat, which was how he wanted it. The bow would be bending up over him if he approached it from that direction. From this side, the boat would go straight up and he would be much easier to get in. He had to make a decision. How to get the boat back to shore. He couldn't put the man on the board and expect him to get to dry land alive. The boat was still rolling heavily in the waves as he came up on it. As he reached, the board skidded forward and he smacked the side of his face hard on the stern of the boat. Out of instinct, he grabbed the boat and his head cleared. He pulled himself partway up to get a good look. The man was lying on the bottom of the boat. Fortunately, there was not too much water in the boat and it wasn't coming close to drowning him. There were two oar locks, but no oars. He couldn't see a paddle either. He must have had oars, Cardin thought, but lost them when he got knocked out. For knocked out he seemed to be. There was a bit of blood, but not so much that it was some sort of deep cut on his head. He would have to tie the board to the boat and pull it to shore. He put the rope through the hole in the board, which they had near the back end, and then tied it to a small cleat on the back of the boat. That would do for now. Then he pulled himself into the boat. It was difficult, but he'd done similarly before, and soon he was crouched in the back of the swaying vessel. He crawled forward until he was by the head of the man. He checked, and the man was alive. But giving him light slaps did not awaken him. The man's head was up on a bag filled with something. Cardin didn't know what and so he wasn't likely to drown on the way back while unconscious. He untied the hooked rope from the cleat at the back of the boat and tied it around a board across the bow. The hook was not needed after all. Cardin pulled the board near the bow of the boat, took a good amount of rope in his hand, and jumped into the water. Then he used the rope to get the board to him quickly and more safely. 
Once atop the board again, he made for shore. He wasn't strictly going for his own dock, the current was still pulling them along the beach, but anywhere would do. The boat and its occupant had enough mass that the going was slow. Still, he made steady progress. The real trick was when they reached the breakers. Normally, the board could be ridden on a wave, but with the boat pulling behind, the board was letting the waves slip out from under and continue on. Then, the boat started to catch the waves and several times came dangerously close to crashing over Cardin on his board. Only powerful paddling kept him ahead of the boat at those moments. He could see Gwen and the children all on the beach, following him alongside. He knew they would wait until he was closer, then come out to help him. His shoulders were burning from the effort, but they were getting close now. Tristan was now wading out towards him. Cardin didn't want to get off the board until he was sure his feet would hit the bottom. When Tristan was only a few feet away, he jumped off, holding the board tight with one hand and reaching out to Tristan. Together they pulled the boat back to the beach, first by pushing the board, then by pulling the rope. There's a man in the boat, knocked out, Cardin said loudly over his shoulder so Gwen could hear. Gwen said a word to Morgan, who ran back to the house. Cardin knew that Morgan would be going for their health supplies. They got the boat pulled up on the shore. The whole family pulled until the boat was far up on the beach. The sun was going down. Cardin realized if the boat had come by much later, he never would have seen it. With no oars, the man likely would have been swept out to sea to die. Gwen, who was far better than him at binding wounds, was working on the man. Morgan had brought a blanket, which Gwen had put under his head, and had pulled out the bag. She handed it over the side to Cardin. Cardin wasn't about to take anything from the man, but he was curious. What sort of person gets caught in a storm in a small boat like this one, with no means of propulsion other than oars which got immediately lost? The bag seemed to have all the man's valuables. In addition to some clothing, it had a good amount of coin, a well-made knife, and several pieces of jewelry. Cardin put it all back and reclosed it. He didn't know the story of this man, but he was pretty sure he was running away. Had he stolen some of the items in his bag? Or was he running in fear? Cardin made a decision. Is he coming round? Cardin asked Gwen. Not yet, she answered. Let's make a litter and get him to the house, Cardin said. They did so, and soon the man was on a simple mattress in front of their fireplace. Gwen kept watch over the man, and Cardin crooked his finger at Tristan, who followed him back out of the house. Tristan looked over him a bit puzzled as they went to the man's boat. We're going to pull the boat up into the trees. It won't hide the boat from a real search, but if someone goes casually looking for it, they won't find it from the sea. Okay, but why? That man has a lot of valuables in his bag. Either he's a thief, which I hope we can determine, and therefore was on the run, or he's running from someone or something with all the valuables he has. On the run, with no food or water in the boat, Tristan asked. Perhaps, perhaps he was running, but just had to get away at first, then the plan would be just to get a ways away and figure out food and water afterward. Perhaps, Tristan replied. But let's hide our oars and paddle, just in case, Cardin said. Tristan nodded. I'm exhausted, Cardin said. Let's go see how our guest is doing. Tristan nodded, and they went back to the house. How is he? Cardin asked as soon as he'd entered. Still out, Quinn replied. Is he bleeding? No, but he has a massive knot on his head. I'm doing my best. I wish we had a proper healer on the island. He can't be in any better hands, Gordon said. Can I bring you anything? Some bread, please, love. 
She replied, and some water. I'm parched. And a second water for a guess. I want to wash his wounds again. The man was unconscious all that night. Cardin started to wonder if the man would recover at all. He decided to take some time to see what might have happened. First thing in the morning, he took some branches with a good amount of leaves still on them and wiped away the tracks they had made, pulling the boat up into the trees. Possibly none too soon. As he was wrapping up this work, he saw a boat go by. He didn't recognize it or the people on it, though it was a little too far to be sure of that. When it first appeared, he hungered down in the trees. He still didn't have answers and didn't want to be caught out in a bad situation. He knew from this distance that they would not be able to see him if he sat still, mostly obscured by a bush. He presumed they were not a fishing, by the way no lines or nets followed the boat, and by the way everyone on the boat, which was a little larger than the average one, was avidly looking at the shore. When it was gone, he kept looking out at the sea occasionally to make sure no one else came by looking. But he also spent some time looking over the boat, inside and out. He found very little to tell him what happened. There were no markings to make the boat special in any way, not even a name. The oar locks were very simple and not decorated in any particular way. There was very little blood in the boat, as he had found earlier. The water in the bottom of the boat had so little blood in it that it was clear though Cardin thought he could smell a little of the copper of blood in it. A little unhappy that he had gotten so few answers, he went back inside and went through the man's bag of possessions again, more thoroughly. The jewelry was well made, but all fairly simple and would fetch only a moderate price. The clothing was typical for farmers, which tended to make Cardin think his suppositions about the man not knowing enough to avoid the storm when on a boat were correct. The knife was as was of high quality, simple, but unadorned. The money was not a great amount, though some of the coins were of an unusual design. This was not unusual. Coins tended to stay in circulation as long as they were of an easily determinable value. The amount of them here was, however, unusual. Again, he put everything back in the bag and reclosed it. He spent the day helping Gwen by working on the new room while she tended to their patient. The bedroom's walls were getting high now, nearly high enough to start working on the roof. This means of construction was extremely simple. There would be no internal doorway between the new room and the rest of the house. Instead, they were going to put up a porch overhang. The back door and the door to the new room would be on adjacent corners. While he worked, he ruminated on the man in the boat and what he meant. Somehow, though he could not rule it out, he just didn't think the man was a thief on the run. True, he had a knife in his bag, but a knife was a very common item to carry. He somehow felt that if the man had been stealing, the bag would have told the tale, with any stolen items making more of an impression. Over the course of the day, all three of the children came and helped. Even Kier, who was too small to do anything with the rocks, helped by smearing their simple mortar on a low part of the wall. It was after supper that evening, that the man finally came around. Gwen, of course, noticed first she was still taking the lead in caring for him. She had eaten quickly, Morgan and Tristan had done most of the cooking for this meal, and then had gone right back to her patient. Cardin finished and went in to see if there was any progress. He saw the man, barely awake. Gwen was looking at him, a look of gladness and pride in her eyes. Cardin held up a finger, 
then told their children that their guest was waking up, but was not to be disturbed. We will let you know about him when we can, Garden said. He walked back to Gwen and the stranger, who was lying down very close to Gwen. He seemed to know Carden was there, but other than that, Carden could not have told how much the man was aware of. He patted Gwen's thigh by way of silent praise, and then sat down on the floor near them both. Some hours passed. The children went out to play, having quickly got bored of waiting for something to happen with the man by the fireplace. The sun went down, and the room was dark, except for the fireplace, which Carden tended. Gwen gave the man water from time to time, and eventually the kids came in and went to their beds. Carden knew it was very late, possibly around midnight, and was exhausted. He was very close to coming to bed when he finally heard the man whisper, Am I safe? You are, Gwen said. But why would you be in danger? I'm a potential, the man said. My name is Aaron Wright. I escaped the church, and they're going to kill me. It has been a day since we found you, Gwen said. Where am I? You are on the island, not far from your town, Carden said. He guessed that the man was local. What? I only made it that far? The storm must have pushed me back. They are so close, I am putting you in danger. Aaron made a motion to get up, but before Gwen and Carden could advise him not to, he groaned, held the injured side of his head, and sank back on the mattress. Please, you must rest, Gwen said. We can discuss this later. For now, you are safe. No, Aaron said. None of us are safe. I think you'll be okay for now, Carden said. Listen and lie still. We took your boat, and early this morning we pulled it up into the trees where it couldn't be seen from the shore. I saw a boat go by shortly afterward with a bunch of people, all looking up and down the island. I suspected then it was looking for you, now I am sure. But we on the island protect those we take into our homes. If they come and demand you and you do not wish to go with them, we will help. You do not know what you are promising, Aaron said, without opening his eyes. He had his eyes cl tightly closed from pain. And so I will not hold you to it. I have been just alert enough to know you have children here. I do not wish to endanger them or their parents. Rest then, Aaron. They will not find you tonight, in any event, Gwen assured him. You can let us know why you fear your people so much when you feel better. Tomorrow. They let him rest, and Gwen, being exhausted but now assured the man would not die without close care, also went to bed. Before they fell asleep, Carden whispered in her ear, We must be careful, then. I don't think he's a thief. I think there's a darker story here. We may have put all of us in danger by helping him. Not that it would have changed our decision. Yes, love, she replied, already almost asleep. We can only see what the morning brings. And thank you for listening. If you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes, cryptobiography at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Mastodon. Words and music, copyright 2023, Brandon Starr. All rights reserved. Characters and events are fictional, fictionalized, or satirical.